Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Marin? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hi, welcome to Recover Girl. It's a podcast all about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Anna David. If you want to find out more about this podcast, go to recovergirl.biz. And and if you want uh, show notes from the episodes, go to recovergirlnewsletter.com, sign up. You can get this very episode show notes from it. So you don't even need to listen, but you should because my guest today, say hello, Brandon Novak. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for doing this. You can call him Novak, right? Sure. Yeah. Call me anything you want. I've been called much worse, I assure you that. <laughs> What's the worst you've been called? It's really hard to offend me, you know what I mean? Right. Because you're, you're talking to a guy that, that at one point in time was homeless in the streets of Baltimore City doing whatever it took to get $10, and you can let your imagination roam with that. Right. You know, so like, it's not much that I haven't seen or heard or did, so... Like, I'll be all right. <laughs> well, and so what we were just talking about right before we started recording was um, writing your books. Yeah. And um, so you've had you've had two come out or this is a paperback version of the of the original. Yeah, this is a re-release of the first book. OK. And, and, and what you get different with this book as opposed to first, you're getting a new cover and a new revised, updated version ending. If that makes yeah, sense. because more has happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because that book ends, uh, in the book we're talking about, it's called Dream Seller. Yeah. Um, that book ends kind of in a question mark. Because see, how I wrote the first book is, uh, I had never written a book in my life. The way the book came about was uh, I was living with Bam Margera, my best friend in in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And him and I used to be professional skateboarders. Well, we were, uh, we were both professional skateboarders. Um, I'm from Baltimore. Uh, Bucky Lasik, another professional skateboarder, was the guy who got me sponsored by Pal. We would come up to Westchester and skate at the skate park, and we met Bam there. And mm-hmm. he was a kid, and we would stay at his mom's house, and we'd skate at the skate park called Cheap Skates. And he wasn't sponsored at the time, me and Bucky were. So we did what we could do to get Bam sponsored. But Bam and I were arch rivals in contests. Mini Ramp is our forte, and either he would win or I would win. So we would go back home and we'd practice all year for this big event, this big contest. And one year he was waiting, like, I come back, uh, Bucky goes to the contest and Bam's like, where's Novak? And Bucky's like, he's on heroin. And Bam's like, what's that? You know, he it was like 16 at the time. Right. He had no idea what that was. Our, our life was skateboarding. Right. Drugs weren't involved. So, Long story short, that goes on and uh, Bam blows up. He becomes like a really big household name and a big figure in the skateboarding industry. He turns pro, continues to make uh, the movie CKY and stuff like that. And he comes and he does a demo in Baltimore City at a skate shop. Uh, 
I went in the day after he did that demo in hopes to get some money out of the skate shop. And uh, I'm strung out to the gill at this point. When you say get money out of them, you mean yeah, legitly? Like, no, nah, yeah, like go on and ask him for 10, 20, 50 bucks. Right. You know, not steal. Um, right. And, and they're like, we're not going to give you any money, Novak. But Bam was here yesterday. He did a demo. He left his phone number. If you want to, he said, if you want to like get your life back on track, get off drugs and, and get your, pursue your skateboarding career moved to Pennsylvania with him. So I took that number. I didn't call it right away. Right. You know, because in my mind, that the, the the alcoholic mind that I have, I thought maybe uh, I'm overreacting a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you know, I'm no just, yeah. you know, whatever. And about three weeks later, I called him, and uh, lo and behold, he came down and picked me up, took me to Pennsylvania. Started skating a lot, started doing all that. And then we started filming that TV show, Viva La Bam. Right. And, and on that show, I was the guy that would do any stunts. Because like we started in the beginning of this podcast, you know, I, you're looking at a guy who was homeless, living in abandoned houses in Baltimore City, right. you know. And uh, so this was like a walk in the park and I'm getting paid for it and I'm right. getting like worldwide recognition, like pff, sign me up. And after we were done filming for the day, we would go to a pub, a bar, whatever, the cast and the crew and... And, and Bam was always intrigued by my stories the, and positions I would find myself in due to addiction. So he'd have me tell these stories at a table of 40 in a bar and you could literally hear a pin drop right. uh, because they're very fascinating stories for people that haven't walked in our shoes. Yeah. And uh, he said, this is it. I, I have a new plan here. You're going to write a book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, haven't even, I, I didn't even graduate high school. I was expelled in 11th grade. He said, you're going to write a book. He said, I must see, okay, so you're going to, you have to have a pen and paper in your hand at all times, a notebook and a pen at all times. Uh, and if you do that, you can have a house, you can live in the house, you can have a car, you can have a credit card, you can be on Viva La Bam and you can continue to get paid for it. The first time I see you without that pen and paper, deals, deals null void. You're going back to Baltimore. And I didn't want to go back to Baltimore, and I, but I didn't know how to write a book. So then when I started writing these, these stories, I really found a... A love for it because it allowed me to to revisit those very dark areas in my life right. without physically doing the things I would need to do, such as shoot up to right. visit them. And uh, so about a year passes and I go to Bam and I said, I think I'm done. And I hand him this book and I wrote it in 12 chapters. And the book starts out with my very last day using. It's yeah. called my last day using. And I, I did something I swore I would never do to get money. And uh, that was uh, selling my body to yeah. another man for yeah. $40. And uh, and then what ha a few other series of events happened, and I go to treatment. And when I get into treatment, I meet my therapist, my counselor, a, a fellow by the name of Guy Leeper, one of the best therapists I've ever had. And he takes me from 14 years old on throughout the whole treatment. So, you know, the whole backstory and then stories that happen in the treatment center. And then the book ends with me leaving the rehab. And uh, I wanted to use one more time. I didn't want to do heroin or cocaine. I just wanted a couple Xanax, mm -hmm. right? And, and I had been in probably 10 treatment centers at this point. And, and I was to go right from this rehab to a recovery house. And at this recovery house, I was going to be in a 30-day blackout. So I knew the only window of opportunity I had to score a few Xanax was between the rehab and the recovery house. So I told the people at the rehab, I said, yes, my mother's coming to get me. Mm -hmm. um, she's going to take me out to get a few... Uh, Toiletries yeah, Exactly, yeah. yeah, necessities. And then she's going to drop me off. That surely buying me a few hours, enough to go score some Xanax and get there. I hope they knew better than that. Yeah. Well, no, they didn't. You know, yeah. This is a real God moment because, yeah. uh, you know, I believe you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, that age-old saying. And, and uh, 
my process had to be my process. So I'm getting out and I'm starting to get the butterflies because I really want to stay clean, but I'm not quite ready to do what it takes to stay clean. Uh, and, and I get out and, I, and I'm in the lobby and I'm about to walk out the doors and I'm like, I had to sit down. Something wasn't right. And when I sat down, there was a girl across from me, an 18-year-old young black woman, and she was going through, she was ill as a research monkey. I had never seen, I mean, I'd seen people this sick, but not as extreme as her because she did not understand why. She's like, what's wrong with me? I have the flu. Like she was 18. She had no idea that she embarked on this endeavor called addiction. Was she talking to you or you heard her talking to like, she a nurse? She was just talking to any, the nurses, right, right. her mother that was sitting there. She right. had no idea wow. what was coming along with this journey that yeah. she was embarking on. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching her. I'm like that is going to be me again. And I remember I would always go to meetings and, and I would learn some things in meetings. The, fir the worst thing I ever did for my drinking and drugging career was I, I went to a meeting and I sat through it. Completely fucked my career yeah. of drinking and drugging. Yeah, head full of AA. Yeah, and you know, they, they, as they say, alcohol, man, like yeah. I, it's hard to drink a glass of wine when it's cut with AA yeah. and it's hard to shoot a bag of dope when it's cut with NA because it doesn't sit right so God, well. I've never heard that. And um, so I'm sitting there and I'm watching and I remember from several meetings that I've attended or one of the plethora of treatment centers that I've been in that they always say feelings aren't facts and feelings pass. And that sounded great, but you guys don't get it. Like I'm internally unique. What applies to you does not apply to me. I'm a fairly successful individual. And this time that day, you know, cause I, I'll speak for myself. I'm an addict. I, I, I'm prone to act off impulse. I think I do. Right. I want to shoot dope. I shoot dope. I want to leave the treatment center. I leave the treatment center. And this day, I, I, I was scared. I, I was scared. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to be in her position and I knew it was coming. And it dawned on me that like, I always feel like I'm fooling everyone in the world, but I'm lying to the most important person in the world, which is myself. Right. So for the first time in my life, I got up from that chair and I walked over to the admissions desk and I knocked on the window and I said, can I use the phone? And I used the phone and I called my mother and I said, mom, I'm being discharged from a rehab. Can you pick me up and take me to the recovery house? And she did. And when she picked me up and took me to that recovery house, it was about a time spent, at the time lapse of about three hours. And when I got there, I didn't want to use. And, and that was, it was like God had came down and handed me the Holy Grail in the form of that saying, feelings aren't facts. And now I had experienced it. Right. And that was a game changer. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, when I want to shoot dope, I don't have to shoot dope. Right. Right. I mean, that bizarre conviction before you learn the opposite the way you feel is going to stay permanently. Like, I, I think that's just, you know, I, and I didn't make this up. That's how addicts are. Yeah. Like, I, if I feel sad, I will become convinced that I've always felt this way and that I will always feel this way, even though I have evidence that two hours ago I didn't feel this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the craziest thing. Because, like, I have that mind, like you were just talking about, that selective, I have a, a, a my, my an alcoholic mind that has selective memory when it plays in favor of my alcoholism. Right. So meaning that I can tell you about four years ago when I was with my then fiance and I promised her that I was going to go to the pub with her and have two glasses of wine and be home in bed at 9 p.m. Uh, I could tell you like it just happened. I could tell you that it was the day before uh, Halloween. It was snowing out. I could tell you the bar stool I sat on. I could tell you the barkeep's name was it served me. I could tell you the music that played on the jukebox. Why? Because it plays in favor of my alcoholism. I, like it says that I can, can do it. I can control my drinking. Right. Oddly enough, my alcoholic mind allows me to block out 13 inpatient treatment centers, lost count of outpatients and detoxes, my mother buying me a plot on Mother's Day seven years ago, 
people taking life insurance policies out on me, me being on life support for seven days, it allows me to block that out because that does not play in favor of my alcoholism, meaning that like, whoa, maybe I have a problem. But that's not true anymore. No. When you wouldn't be sitting here. It's not. When no. did that change? That changed um, May 25th, 2015. So is that the day with the girl and the, um, and the feelings aren't facts? It was later. No, much later. Hence the book having a new revised ending because okay. I did not stay clean after that book. Right. So, so basically, so you go to that, uh, that 30 day, uh, sober living and then how long did you stay sober after that? I think I put together 60, 70 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you forgot yeah, that feelings are That's selective memory. You just forgot. Yeah. Or maybe it occurred to you when you were like, well, but that's not true. Yeah. Because here's the deal with me. I had known that I've been an alcoholic for years. I knew that my life was unmanageable. My evidence dictates that. My history, my resume, it proves that. You know, uh, if, if that weren't the case, I wouldn't have ended up in these positions time after time. Right. Um. But the moment the terms of my contract had changed is it is when I accepted the fact that I was an alcoholic. Right. Because then it allowed me to get out of my way. It, it allowed me to, I say a lot, it allowed me to stop attending Brandon's Anonymous. Brandon right. stopped sponsoring Brandon. Brandon stopped being Brandon's guy. And then oddly enough, Brandon was able to get like a day sober, a month sober. And then, and then um, here's my question. Because that's really, if that, we could that, bottle solution. that, if uh, we could bottle that right now, we could solve alcoholism. Absolutely. So what do you think that is? Because that's clearly the problem. How do you get from, I know I have this problem, to I accept that I have this problem? For me, uh, it's like we were talking about the beginning. My process had to be my process. Um, I hear in meetings, people say, have you hit your bottom yet? And I fucking hate when I hear someone say that to someone because I believe anyone can hit their bottom when they stop digging. Right. I chose to like buy a construction company, buy a few backhoes, you know, a million shovels. My story didn't have to be a, as dark and dramatic as it was, but uh, but I was so internally unique that it could not help into me. And what I thought this is where this is where my vision was jaded is that my personal recovery equals social acceptability. Okay, tell me more about I, that. I really so you're looking at a guy who at 14 I was the first skateboarder to ever be endorsed by Gatorade. They were flying me out to Chicago. I'm hanging out with Michael Jordan in the Quake Roads building. They're strapping wires up to both of us, seeing how Gatorade affects different sports players. Um, traveling the world with Tony Hawk. Um, take it a step further. I go from there and I end up in these movies, Jackass, which break box office records. Right. I'm doing things that, that people equate to success and happiness. And, and this was really like, the really plot twister. Uh, then I wrote my book, an autobiography addiction memoir. Uh, that autobiography addiction memoir gets published. I'm now a published author who's written a book on addiction. Right. right? right. So let's take a step further. I'm a published author who's written a book on addiction, which becomes a New York Times top 10 selling author. And I'm receiving hundreds of thousands of pieces of mail over the world saying, thank you, Novak. I read your book. I didn't want my story to get as bad as yours. I have 30 days right. of you saying, thank you. I read your book. I understand that my son has a disease. He doesn't pick the bottle over me because I was a bad mother. My delusional mindset, I just wrote the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. So like, yeah, I get you guys need this, but I'm a pretty creative fella, man. Didn't you think, well, I have some sort of a responsibility being this person? Or you thought you'd figured it out? I thought I figured it out. And what happened was I, 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 would, I, I would outthink myself out of every meeting, out of every treatment center, uh, out of every therapy session. Uh, and what I would do is I would come in and I would save my face, literally save my face. 
and then literally lose my ass on right. the street corners of Baltimore City. Right. So when the pain got great enough and I was beaten into that state of reasonableness, I had that just right ass whooping that I could not shake. I had had plenty of them. But like I said, it's hard to drink a glass of wine when it's cut with AA. Um, I realized that, that these positions, these places, these feelings that I continuously found myself in were completely self-induced, meaning I myself, Brandon Novak, created them. And that was one of the biggest things I lacked in my, my drinking and drugging career is I lacked the ability to accept personal responsibility for my actions. It's her fault, my employer's fault, my father's fault, you know. Right, right. It was never my fault. Deflection 101 at its finest right here. So what if somebody wanted to take steps towards acceptance? What would you recommend? Or is there nothing somebody could do? No, no. For me, my yeah. process, and I can only tell you about mine, um, I didn't do this. I, I'm not in control of this. I'm not the one to take credit for this. A power greater than myself lifted this obsession. I, I'm not responsible for the date I got sober. I'm not responsible for this here today, what we're doing. Um, I, I do a few simple things along the way each day to maintain my sobriety, but uh, I, I'm not running this ship here. The moment that I think I did this or, or I've created this or I'm the one to take credit for this, I have a bottle in my hand or a needle in my arm. So what I say is that like the God of my understanding, I know that God word can kind of be very uh, overwhelming per se. Um, the power greater than myself, I choose to call God. God brought me to AA and then AA brought me back to God via the right. 12 steps. Right, right, right. That's what That's the well solution. Said. Yeah. So in 21 years of drinking and drugging, uh, you know, uh, I told you the, the rehab resume, the, 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 the plot, the, the life insurance policy, life support, I, I would loiter with the intent to recover. I would go to meetings. I would get a sponsor. I could fellowship fairly easy because I'm a people person. But when you say work, the steps, oh, 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 I, the word work isn't in my forte unless it pays with $10 or a glass of wine. And I told you Brandon's Brandon's God, so you all of a sudden want me to, to turn my life over to this imaginary whatever that you're telling me about. And, and he will provide for me what I need when he sees fit. Right. Uh-uh, no. But oddly enough, this last time, I had tried everything else. I was horrible at suicide because I kept fucking waking up. Right. And, and, and uh, I said, I, I was so low that the curb of the skyscraper. I said, you know what? I'm all in. And let's do this. And I worked the steps. And oddly enough, I experienced the steps. And oddly enough, like that obsession has been lifted. And coming up on two years, God willing, May 25th, 2017, I haven't had the, the desire for yeah. a drink or a drug once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that psychic transformation, that is... That right there is mind-blowing. I, I mean, I ate it, I breathed it, I slept it, I dreamt it. That was my deal for 21 years, yeah. getting high. The fact that we're sitting here talking to each other defies logic. Statistics yeah. state we should be high or dead. Right. The fact that we're not- We're institutionalized. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are the things. and it, it, It's miraculous, equally miracle, and it defies logic. It's so, I had very much the, a similar experience, not as extreme a story, um, but yeah, I mean, that was that was my thing is to to just do a few simple things. And it was a long time ago for me now. So I, I was just saying this to someone last night. I think I rose color glasses and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I just like walked in and then like, you know, surrendered my life. And, you know, but but I had my tonsils out when I was 18 and that's how it felt. It felt like the, whatever this was that was in my brain got removed. And that doesn't make any logical sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And and so it has to be something spiritual, and yet, and that's a miracle. And like, 
the thing is, I don't know where you are with it, but like I, I always think about this in meetings is like we're, you know, addicts tend to be a, or alcoholics tend to be a sort of cynical group. So we're not the types to walk around being like, I experienced a no. miracle. We're the types to be like, you know what? That was the traffic here was really annoying. And yeah. I can't believe you have to go to like Beverly Hills and like all this stuff that like we just move right past the miracle. Yeah. To like day to day gripes sometimes. Yeah. But are, are you still in the oh, my God, it's a miracle phase? Uh, I, I am, but I can very quickly not be. Yeah. And then uh, a, a moment of clarity sets in. You know, I was sitting down at Starbucks prior to this, and I, I got a, a tea, and I was sitting there smoking a cigarette, and, and the table is clearly marked no smoking, and this guy next to me says, uh, the fumes are bothering me, Kate. Yeah. And, and I wanted to, like, really revert back to my old ways and say we're outside in this downtown Los Angeles. Like, fuck off. Yeah, at least it's not pot. You yeah. Like and, and, and what I said, and, and, and the program kicked in i said you know the the sign says no smoking it, it bothers this fellow he's sitting here like yeah i i need to be courteous to other people it, that's not my way of doing things right you know that i didn't do this it's it's crazy man but it's not crazy it makes sense were you ever kind of an asshole or did you always have this like sweetness no i was the worst man mean like i was Drinking, I, I loved wine, so I, I would be very, you never knew who you'd get. I would be right. very confrontational. I'd tell someone how I felt in a heartbeat. Right. And uh, I'm complete night and day. That psychic transformation has truly taken place. Right, right. You know, And the beautiful thing is now is that that, that when I start to, to get off task and, and veer off, I'm aware that I'm aware. Because right. before it made complete sense. Ignorance was bliss per se. Right. But now when you know, you fucking know. I know. I know. It's interesting. I had a thing happen yesterday, like, uh, you know, bad news in quotes. Yeah. And like, and I mean, I started to just melt and go down the rabbit hole. And then like, of course, I talked to somebody who's sober and they're like, wait, there's actually no problem. Your problem is your reaction to that news. Yeah. It's not bad Absolutely. news. Absolutely. He's like, talk to me when you actually get bad news. Because, yeah. like, you got nothing bad going on right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And, I mean, my perception was that it was awful. Totally. You know? I mean, I, I stay a lot in hotel rooms, and I'm really big on, on a view and a balcony. Yeah. And I can come into a hotel room, and there's no view, no balcony. Yeah. And I lose my mind. I'm like, right. am I fucking kidding, man? Yeah, I used to sleep in abandoned houses yeah. eating out of trash cans. Right. Like, I, it's cliche as it, it sounds, like privilege problems, man. I know. More money, more problems. Kidding. Um, I'm just quoting <laughs> Didn't see the rapper Smalls. side of you. No, oh, it's there. I told you I liked Eminem, remember? Yeah, yeah. Well, still who doesn't? Sit. No, I remember Everybody that. Everybody likes Eminem. Yeah, it's so given. true. It's so true. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I mean, like trendy, like so-called bad hip-hop. Like I'm not like old school, but- but I, I like so maybe it. if I would have put rap music on prior to this, I would have been like, "Oh, it. you can keep the music on." <laughs> yeah. To be to be clear, I walked in and was like full on controlling, and I was I closed the window. And the irony is that I trashed your hotel room. Yeah, you did. I broke two you glasses. Did. Now, like, they're not going to invite me back. So I appreciate. Girl that. with the recovery podcast comes in and thrashes her. To be clear, I woman. closed a window, and there were two <laughs> glasses below it, and like glass was breaking. I wasn't I wasn't wreaking havoc. See, not yeah. yet. Well, why do you have to justify it? It happened. That made me sound kind of badass and cool. <laughs> um, I got, an, I, I get, you know, I don't know if you get any like hate emails and stuff like that. Mm. Like I got a girl who sent me this message on Facebook who said that I make it clear that sobriety has uh, no edge or something like that. So it's good. I hope she's listening because I just trashed your hotel room. That's pretty an edge. much extreme. This is an, an extreme edge. radio show for fuck's sake. Podcast, my friend. 
Is it more it. fun than the podcast you did last night? You don't have to tell me. I'm, he's, he's probably not listening. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. No, they're all oh, cool. No, diplomatic like, Honestly, answer. I just like to, I like to let people know, and this is a true story, all jokes aside, that addiction isn't a death sentence. Yep. And, and your history does not have to dictate your future. And as long as you're breathing, it's never too late. And you're looking at a fellow who's been through some things and, and who I have a documentary coming out, going to the Sundance and the Cannes Film Festival. They followed me around for seven years. It's called Where's My Needle? Uh, and, and when they started, it wasn't because I was interested in the in the, the project. It was because they said cash on hand for every interview. So I'm like, fuck yeah, it's like great dope shooting money. And, and, and it went on. And and at the end, there was no ending to this. You know, they're, they're, you know professional skateboarders, musicians, actors, therapists, rehabs, family members, all that. And like Novak has all this potential, but right. it was always but. And uh, little did I know, I just recently found out we got this ending now because like I, 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 I God willing, God saw fit to allow me to get clean and sober. Um, and prior to me going into treatment, I found out after I went to treatment that the producers of the documentary had a, a meeting, a private meeting, which I wasn't invited to. And, and they were trying to figure out how to gear this ending with my death. Wow. You know? Yeah. So, like, it it, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, provided, when I'm working with fellows and they're like, 99.9% .9 of the people that call me, like, Novak, if you can get clean, yeah. there's no reason why I can't. Because it's tangible. There's some substance there. Right. Uh, they've witnessed my head on collision with drugs and alcohol and press, radio, films, tabloids for years. Right. Books. And, and now they're seeing this rebirth. So it's a bit different than a 50-year-old professor reading out of a textbook giving a bunch of theories or hypotheses of what may or may not happen. Right. So when I'm trying to help a man or woman, whatever the case is, I'm like, look, the only thing blocking you from getting better is you. Yeah. You're your biggest fucking enemy right now. Your decision-making ability is horrible. Right, right. But it's great because like, it, it, it's, it's, this, this disease is so powerful, right? Cunning, baffling, and powerful. Absolutely. Most importantly, I believe, is patient. It's the mm. only lethal disease that says we don't have a disease. That factual evidence states that the left untreated, being an addict or an alcoholic, it is fatal. We will die. But follow me here. So you diagnose me with HIV. I'm rushing to the hospital to get medication because I don't want to die. Fatal disease. You diagnose me with cancer. I'm rushing to the hospital to get chemo because I don't want to die. Fatal disease. You diagnose me as an addict or an alcoholic. I need a glass of wine or a bag of heroin to figure out what the fuck's wrong with you for diagnosing me with such disease. Equally as fatal as the first two. It's the only disease that tells me I don't have a disease. And left to my own devices, I will believe that voice. Right. You know, and that's why, like, I can't do this alone. So I have a sort of dark question for you. Absolutely. What? Why do you think some people don't get to that point? You know, I, I, I can't call it. You know, when I think I can call it, I'm way off. Right. The one thing I've learned in my sobriety, and it's such a, it's one of the most freeing things I've experienced, is that I know that I don't know. Right. You know. Um, so there there can be a lot of different variables. They, they come, that's a very, like, uh, wide-ranged question. And yeah. I, and I don't think it's... There's no go, answer. No, no. It's a, it's a individualized situation, I believe, case by case. Yeah. I think that what people... Um, what's hard for people is that is that I, I feel this way and I'm always going to feel this way, whether that feeling is um, I'm not spiritual, I hate God, I don't even like that word, or I hate meetings, or I hate this. And what they don't understand is if they can get past that, just like purely just being abstinent from something, your mm. craving is going to go down. I hear that's true about sugar. I've never experienced it. Okay. Like you take the sugar out of your diet and within a few months, 
You just don't want it anymore. Yeah, I'm the same. I don't drink soda anymore. I don't yeah. drink yeah. any sodas. And, and it took me a minute to catch on to it. I only drink water, but now yeah. like it's I mean, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, you're like, it's there. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. Liked soda. And now if I take a sip of soda, I'm like, this is absolutely it's like disgusting. Crack. Oh yeah. yeah, I'll I'll give myself a little diet coke now and I'll again. I'll do a, a ginger ale if I want to try oh. to pretend that I'm being yeah, a little but... good about it. <laughs> and so your day to day now, how much of it? So I know. So so how, roughly how many? And how do people reach you? Maybe we shouldn't tell them. But how sure. many people reach out to you and say, "I need help getting sober"? Like how a uh, hundred a day? Uh, it, it varies. It varies. It really every does. day you hear from somebody. Absolutely, absolutely. And how and I give I give a, my personal number out because I what I do no. is when I when I went to treatment this last time I remember I got into treatment and I was in theory and on paper a very successful individual. Yep. Um, in reality, when I walked into treatment this time. At 35 years old, my worldly possessions consisted of a, a, a black bag like that. Right. And it had all my worldly belongings in it, which consisted of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, and a stick of deodorant. And that bag doubled as my pillow. And when I got into treatment, I cried for like the first 30 days. I had this big New York guy from Brooklyn named TJ, and I cried to him every day. He was very intimidating. Felt a lot of people were intimidated by him, but I wasn't. I was just, I was beaten. I was broken, and I didn't care what people. I, I had stopped saving my face because I knew that got me nowhere. So I started saving my ass, and I was just being honest for once. I would cry to him, and he would listen, and, and he was compassionate, and he was uh, empathetic to me. And uh, thirty days into it, I said, I don't want to be alone, TJ. I'm terrified. I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. I don't want to be alone. And 30 days into it, around, give or take, he says to me, Novak, how you doing with that alone piece? And you would have thought that I recited this in the mirror for like months. I looked at him in the blink of an eye and I said, you know what? I'm all right. I, I realized if I don't drink or drug out again, I'll never be alone. Mm. And, and, and it was kind of like we were talking a bit before. It, it just kind of happens. It's like the movie Forrest Gump. It rained, it rained, it rained, it rained. And then one day it just stopped. Right. There's not a time, place, location uh, that it happens. I can't tell you. The, the, the events that led up to that, but it just happened. And, um, and, and, and so now when I, when people call me and they want my help, I, I do whatever I can to help them. I'm kind of like the concierge in the treatment center world from, from the things that I've done previous to getting sober. And my books are, are a big highlight in jails, rehabs, detoxes. Right, right. Um, so in that community, they, they know who I am. And when they call me and they say, Novak, if you can get clean, there's no reason why I can't. I go above and beyond to let them know that I will be with them every step of the process. And if that entails me flying to them to take them to treatment, I do it. Strangers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't helped one person that I know. And I think and that's a lie. Helped. I will help one person. So so this person, someone says to you, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Arizona. Will, I just flew a kid in the other day from Arizona. buy a plane ticket. Absolutely. And you call, do you? You, you figure out the treatment center for them and yeah, you work with just a couple places. Up. Yeah. Um, you make sure their insurance or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And you fly them there. I, I personally, I'll go get them and I will fly them there and I walk them into detox. And the treatment centers wow. that I primarily work with are in Chicago, Boston, and Pompano Beach, Florida. And we're about to open a new facility in Philadelphia, which is really good because people want me to be, and I'm in Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 People want me to be involved in their journey on yeah. a day by day process. And a lot of them will call me. Just because it's me, right? And, and I don't give a fuck why they call. Just it, be it, it, if whatever it takes to help me help that man or woman that is deemed unhelpful or unfixable like me, then you can't put a number on that because I was that guy that people discounted as like when 
do we get that call? And like, you're going to be going to a pretty elaborate length if you like want to meet a celebrity and you're willing to pretend you want to go to rehab yeah. to like get to that. Yeah. Fucking God bless you. Absolutely. You, I, know? you know, whatever it takes right. to get that person in there. So I had a guy from Arizona that flew another day and, uh, and, and I went and got him and took him there. Yeah, I talked to you and I that day, I think. And I was yeah. like, where are you? Yeah. And then, uh, and then I came home and I was home for a day and then I got a guy from Jersey, flew him down. And that's only if they don't have any faith or in themselves that they can do that. Otherwise, you'll just arrange the treatment. Yes. And then I'll come down there and I will check on them. And then once they're in treatment, they know that like if there's ever uh, something they need to talk to me about, they go to the therapist or counselor or whoever's on duty and they will call me any given time, day or night. Like there's never a time that I'm not available. And... um. So, and are a lot of those success stories on like, they're sober now and... Yeah, you know, it's 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 bittersweet, but yeah. it's par for the course. Uh, prime example, I, I was out here the last time for that... The, the Surgeon General. Well, no, oh, the Experience, Strength, and Hope thing. Yeah, yeah. for that Pat O'Brien guy, right? Yeah. Well, I'm out here, I get a phone call from a fella in Laguna Beach. I'm not going to say his name. Um, and he's a young kid and, and he's in a bad way. And... uh I do these things. I, I'm staying at the W. Uh, or no, I'm staying at the Roosevelt. And mm-hmm. I said, and he was in Laguna Beach. I said, I have an Uber coming to get you. You come here and you fly back with me. I, I'll take you to treatment. He doesn't do it. I get it. He just keeps bailing out, bailing out. But I had con- I've been continuously talking to this fella. And uh, the plan was on this trip, and I talked to him nine days ago. I was going to fly out here. He was going to, he would have been staying in this room with me. And I was mm-hmm. going to, he was going to stay with me all six days while I was out here. And then I was going to personally fly him back to treatment. And, uh, that was nine days ago that I talked to him and his mom called me mm-hmm. day or two after the 11th day or whatever, however the math goes on that and said, uh, I'm sorry he didn't make it, oh. you know? And I had been talking to this kid and you know, that's, I, I hate to say this, but it goes back to the to the program that some of us have to die for us to live. And his death wasn't in vain. Right. He died for me to be able to be here sober today to talk to you. Right. Because this thing is called alcoholism, not alcoholism. And there's a shelf life of 24 hours, and I can't stay sober on yesterday's sobriety. Right. You know, I make meetings to find out what happens to people that don't make meetings. How How often do you go? I go about... I'm going tonight uh, to one up in Costa Mesa mm-hmm. with my friend that has a clothing line, Sober is Sexy. Oh, the d- the mother-daughter? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Haley. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be meeting up with her and going. But I go probably about four to five times a week. I sponsor fellas. I have a sponsor. I'm, I'm going through the steps right now for the second time. I'm on my fourth step. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm big with the program because without the program, None of this is possible. Right. None of this. Right. None of this. I I, I owe my life to this. Yeah. And do you have the same sponsor you've had this whole time? No, I switched sponsors now because I need, I I want a new experience. Yeah. 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 And how many sponsees do you have? Uh, Three. But all of those guys, I mean, are you asked constantly? I mean, how does that work? How do you handle that? I I am. And, And my sponsor, my new sponsor really drives us home with me. He said, you know, guy. God has granted you this gift and it's time for you to honor this gift and and not when it's convenient to you. Mm. And I'm like, wow, I have so many friends that would give anything in this world for this gift, but God didn't see fit to give it to them, at least yet. Some that have passed on 
I get phone calls every day of people crying, begging for help. Some, I can't help everybody. I, I do what I can when I can, however I can, but I'm human. And, and, and uh, for some reason, God didn't see fit to, to give them this gift yet. Right, right. You know, so, so I honor this gift and not when it's just convenient to me. Because how dare I? People didn't do that to me when I continuously have been in and out, shooting dope in bathrooms of meetings. I was never told to not come back. Right. And, and if I was, I, I don't think I'd be sitting here today. And um, so, so how much of your time is spent doing that? Like you do a lot of public speaking, um, just at general advocacy. Is that yeah. what you call it? Yeah, yeah. Um, is that pretty much your full-time deal now? Uh, yeah, it, it is, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I, it, there's no rhyme or reason to my schedule. Uh, I, I work with a, a very good treatment center that I completely wholeheartedly believe in. It's called Banyan Treatment Center. Uh-huh. And um, they allow me to to march to my own beat. Right. You know, right. I, they, I don't have anybody I have to report to and tell them what I'm doing. Right. I, I do what I do. They believe in me, much like the people in the program believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And they, did you go to that treatment center? Yeah. I oh, did. you did? Is that the I one did. that ultimately? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I did, if I would have made a list of where I wanted to be with coming up on two years sober... I would have undersold myself dramatically, you know, and and it comes back to like, if I want to make my God laugh, I tell him how my day is going to go. Right. You know, I'm not running anything. I simply put one foot in front of the other and and I make the next right decision. I don't lie. um, And I help other people because in this weird Ponzi scheme of AA or NA or whatever you want to call it, 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 that's what keeps me sober, helping people. And anywhere in any, in, in any, any walk of life, if I am to give you something that I have, I am to walk away with less factual evidence. And in this mm. program of ours, if I give you something that I have, I walk away with more. Once again, it defies logic. But I, that is not just true in our program. That is true everywhere. I mean, that's truly also. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, like with career stuff. For uh-huh. instance, um, I started like, and this sounds ridiculous. It's like I started to study these like serious marketers, these online marketers. Their entire philosophy is like help, help people. It's more manipulative because then they sort of owe you a little mm-hmm. bit. But I've started to do a lot more favors and work. I used to have people who would email me and kind of be like, "Oh, can I get to your agent? Or can you help me with this?" And I was always like really offended and like feel like they were a taker and i find that when i do that it's the same exact thing out there in the world yeah you know yeah, what yeah, i mean now, yeah now it is I yeah guess. but basically like uh yeah yeah i see what you're saying different twist on it but i see what you're saying you know um that it, there's just something about that and it's like it's sort of like this is a silly example but it's like people um you know, they recommend a recovery recommendation is like do one anonymous good deed a day. Like don't yeah, tell anybody yeah. about it. And we just have do something it. like that in Philadelphia called the Green Card. Which what is that? that? Only in Philadelphia. It's just uh, like a list of things that you should do throughout the day. And one of them is that. But it's oh. only in Philadelphia. You do one anonymous good deed a day. And if anyone finds out about it, you have to do another one. Right. I'm terrible with that because I, I will do good deeds, but then I'll tell everybody. Uh, yeah, we need you know that recognition. I mean? <laughs> Look at me. I'm the most fucking important person in the world. All oh, hell. But here's a good I. one. Here's a good one, especially if you're in LA. You walk by somebody whose meter is about to expire. You walk by a car, put money in. They did that in one of the Jackass movies. They did? Dave England did it, yeah. Okay, well, so it's not original. I didn't find it a very funny skit, so... Uh, it's not it, meant to be funny. It's meant to be... <laughs> I get it. It's good. It's good. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I agree. And it's culturally relevant since it was in Jackass. So, okay, we got to work towards wrapping up. Mm-hmm. You will not give out your phone number on this podcast, will you? That would s- Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. so take out your pens, you guys. And if you're not able to get it, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. So um, do you have to look at your phone to know it? No, I just don't. You put all this pressure on me. You really built this up. So if I give it out wrong, then like that's horrible. That yeah, 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 yeah. But I knew it. I just had to see. I'm second guessing myself. Right, right. Of course um, not. But if you want to reach me and I personally answer this phone, you can reach me at 610-635-9092. Um, don't text him. He doesn't like that. Yeah. He's a phone guy. I am. Yeah. I am. And is there an email address or you don't, don't do that? Do you don't do emails. I have an email address, but you I don't do it. it. You're, yeah. you're best just calling me and, and texting me if you need be. And and if the, if the text is valid and, and and there's some validity to it, then I just call you back. Yeah, I like yeah, to get yeah. to the point quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you're obviously like on the internet. You're on, you know, yeah, you got Facebook yeah. fan pages um, and Instagram. Brandon, double underscore Novak. Um, just basically just go off that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so, so much for doing this. It was such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, it was a, uh, I'm honored to be asked to be a part of this. I promise I won't trash your hotel room anymore. Anymore. You I can't make that the promise. The damage is done. <laughs> <laughs> so that is it. We're wrapping up uh, Recover Girl podcast all about addiction and recovery. This was such a cool episode. Again, if you want show notes from this episode, go to recovergirlnewsletter.com. Sign on up. If you want to know more about this podcast, go to recovergirl.biz. Thank you. That's it.